0: I'm Mario Munoz, reporting for the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service. According to the Commissioner for Labor at the Texas Workforce Commission, Julian Alvarez, many of the top 25 demanding occupations in the state do not require a four-year degree. Labor Commissioner Julian Alvarez was one of the panelists during a virtual panel hosted by Teach for America on November 10th.
1: Thank you for joining us. Good afternoon. My name is Deborah Cordova. I am a partner with the law firm of Walsh McGurk Cordova Nixon. And I'm also a proud member of the Teach for America Rio Grande Valley Advisory Board. Once again, welcome to today's panel. We are all eager to be a part of building a more resilient RGV in the future. As I believe you all may know, Teach for America finds and develops teachers and leaders and places them in classrooms in communities across the Rio Grande Valley and the entire country, who then go on and lead every sector. Thank you for the investment you have made in our work and mission.
2: Thank you so much to our Rising Up sponsors today UTRGB and UT Health Rio Grande Valley, UTX1 companies, and Mission Economic Development Corporation. Um, You helped power today's webinar, so all of us could discuss this important topic. We also would like to thank all of our Future Ready sponsors. Your support helps support this really important conversation today um, and all of the work Teach for America does to support our educators and our students across the Rio Grande Valley. And we also would like to thank our very loyal, faithful annual sponsors who, through their contributions each year, Um, are able to ensure that Teach for America is finding, developing, and supporting the best leaders possible in education. And Deborah, if you are back, I will let you take it from here.
1: Thank you, John. Uh, It is my honor to introduce our moderator for Resilient Rio Grande Valley panel. She is my former law partner, a phenomenal community leader, and Vice President of Governmental and Community Relations at UTRGB. Please welcome your moderator, Ms. Veronica Gonzalez.
3: Thank you, Deborah. And it's so good to see everyone, even if it's virtually. I'm very pleased to be with you today as your moderator and to facilitate this very important conversation. I think we'll all agree that it's been a very challenging 2020. Uh, perhaps more so in the Rio Grande Valley than in many other locations. And while the challenges haven't gone away and probably won't for some time, it's important to be looking forward and to plan for the future that we wanna build. So today's discussion will center around the key question of how can education and workforce development lead to a stronger Rio Grande Valley post COVID-19. From a personal perspective, I can tell you that at UTRGV, We recognize that leaving school, even what may start out as a one semester break, can often lead to a student not returning. And so we have to help our students stay on track. Uh, To do that, we've been helping them with uh, cash grants so they can help to pay for their technology needs, their rent, their books, and other educational expenses. And we also set aside funds this year to increase our student employment because we knew that the pandemic was going to have a a large impact on our Rio Grande Valley families. We're very grateful to the federal government uh, for the CARES funds and to the governor's office in the state and also the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board for additional funds for emergency and educational grants. Today, we have some dynamic speakers uh, and they all look really sharp too. Uh, from education, we have Dr. Rodney Rodriguez, a senior director at RGB Focus Education Educate Texas, He oversees regional collective impact efforts in education. We also welcome State Senator Juan Chuy Hinojosa who represents District 20, which runs from the Valley up to Corpus Christi. Senator Hinojosa serves as vice chair on Senate Finance among other committees. And he has always been a fierce advocate for education and workforce development. And last but not least, from the Texas Workforce Commission, We welcome a Valley native who's now working for all of us in Austin. Please welcome Julian Alvarez III, Commissioner representing Labor. So for our format today, I'm going to ask an opening question to each of the panelists. I have asked them to please keep their response to under three minutes so we can have some follow-up questions based on the responses. I will then ask a concluding question to all of them. And time permitting, we will have about five to 10 minutes at the end. So you can chat your questions into the chat box to the host. And we're going to look for trends and aggregate the more popular ones. So, gentlemen, let's get started. Um, This is a question for all panelists. And I'm going to increase my view so I can see you all better. Um, From your unique perspective, what have been the main challenges right now to setting all young people up for college and career? I'd like to start with you, Dr. Rodriguez.
4: Good afternoon, Veronica. And uh, it's just an honor to share this panel with Commissioner Alvarez, Senator Inojosa, and uh, Ms. Gonzalez. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, you know, this is something that is extremely important, especially when we look at uh, working together with our school districts and with our institutions of higher education. Um, But when it comes to preparation for college and workforce, for college, you know, the first thing is uh, to make sure that we introduce opportunities in education and workforce at an early age. Um, We need to make sure that uh, some of the challenges are that, you know, we don't really uh, introduce explorations of careers, We don't really uh, focus uh, the trajectory of a child and what they want to become or what they want to go into in education or workforce. And so a lot of times uh, that factor seems to be one that resonates uh, across the board that we need to do a better job in introducing these opportunities earlier. The other thing is that we have really worked very closely with our parents. The parents have a lot to do with uh, working with the students to be able to encourage them to either go through uh, a college or an academic degree or maybe even a workforce industry recognized certification or certificate. It just depends how uh, that individual or that student wants to continue their trajectory in education. And one of the things that we have been working very closely with is to engage the parents to be more active, more involved uh, with the student's trajectory in either education or workforce. But definitely we feel that, you know, once we're At the point of when the student is going to continue uh, their post secondary education, um, you know, that transition space that you just mentioned, you know, if if a student, you know, is not able to continue right away, right after graduation, then there is an opportunity that we're going to lose them in the process. So we really uh, have been focusing on the challenge of engaging them very quickly making sure that there is a bridge program from secondary to post-secondary to not be able to lose them in that process. And those, those are just some of the areas in which we have uh, faced some challenges and that we're working with our region with.
3: Thank you, Dr. Rodriguez. I appreciate that response and very true. We gotta keep our, our kids on track and introduce them early on to opportunities. Um, Commissioner Alves, from the workforce perspective, Um, what have been the main challenges right now to setting up young people for for college and career?
2: So, you know, a couple of years ago, you would have said that there were challenges, but let me tell you in the Rio Grande Valley, those challenges, we're hitting them head on. And what I mean by that is, you know, early on what we're doing along with the help of our senators and representatives, we've been able to be creative. We've been able to not only be thinking outside the box, but be able to put a, a plan into place. And I'm gonna use some of, the, some of the examples that we've done uh, and how we've been successful with that. So platforms like this, Veronica, have been excellent. It's exposing young adults, educators, the business community, and everyone that, they're, that every individual early on has an option. Let me share with you, the Texas workforce, we have the top 25 demanding occupations in the, this state. And I will tell you that the majority of these occupations don't require a four year degree. Now there's nothing wrong with a 40 degree. Believe me, we all most of us that are on, on, the, on today's call have one, but we need to make sure that we inform individuals early on that they have options. There's nothing wrong with being a plumber or an RN going through the ADN program or a dental hygienist or a fireman or a police officer. These are options. Now, one of the things that I love about what we've done in the last two sessions is take ideas and put them into action. Rodney, Dr. Rodney Rodriguez mentioned earlier about counseling, some type of mentor program early on. Well, let me tell you, I don't know if, uh, if your audience is familiar with Senate Bill 154. Senate Bill 154 allowed the Texas Workforce Commission to actually embed people from industry to go into the school districts and actually serve as counselors, not academic counselors, but career counselors. And what they're focusing on are those challenges that people have early on. For example, if someone is a foster youth, our counselors understand the services that Texas workforce provide. They also know about apprenticeship programs, pre-apprenticeship, CTE programs. These people are listening to our industry leaders, the LNGs, the SpaceXs that you have there, the expansion of road construction, um, the courses that you offer at UTRGV or at South Texas College, TSTC or Texas Southmost they're experts, Valley Grande Institute. What we're doing is we're actually providing these individuals early on with options that they have. So that happened, that came into fruition thanks to people like Senator Hinojosa and other representatives that represent the Valley and Senator uh, um, um, Lucio. Um, And they may not acknowledge that, but we've also have been able to implement things like coding camp for girls. Dr. Rodney Rodriguez mentioned that we have enough people going into STEM-related occupations. Are they aware of those occupations? We were, as an agency, able to actually implement the coding camp for girls that UTRGV was on the receiving end, and so was Dr. Alvarado from Region 1, where we got 20 girls from the South Texas region to actually go to a STEM camp. Now these girls know how to code. We got that idea from you all in Mission, Texas, where Alex Mead and Daniel Silva put that coding, uh, implemented that Code the Town uh, initiative. We got that idea from you all. So let me tell you, you guys have all been proactive when it comes to training young adults. You could done an excellent job and we appreciate it. I'm gonna make my comments short, but again, there are just so many great things that are happening in the Valley. And that's what my role is here today is to share some of your accolades with the help of our educators and a business community and our great uh, legislators represent us in Austin.
3: Thank you, Commissioner Alvarez. Actually, that's a really good point because think about it. So many of us, the careers that we chose to go into, we went into because we knew somebody in that field or somebody introduced us to that. And and that's really what, I mean, I've heard it many, many times from other attorneys that said, I had no idea I'd be an attorney, but you know, Bobby down the street went to uh, this law school and he thought I thought if he could do it, so can I, right? And so I think it's so important to have children exposed early on. And, and it's it's exactly what you and Dr. Rodriguez have been pointing out. Senator Nojosa, tell us from your perspective, sir, as a, as a state senator and having been in government for so many years, what have you seen to be the largest challenges?
0: Uh, thank you. I, well, I want to thank uh, Commissioner Julian Alvarez because he's really taken the lead uh, with, work, with the Workforce Commission. The Workforce Commission is really the state's lead agency in trying to provide education and training now up identifying those areas in our economy uh, where there's a lack of skilled labor and uh, focusing on them, providing the resources to provide uh, the training, education so that uh, those people can get a job. But let me, let me uh, uh, I guess, sort of um, talk about the um, challenges that we presently face. Uh, right now, because of uh, the pandemic, COVID-19, has really caused a lot of issues and challenges for us across the board. Uh, our economy economy was shut down for a while. Uh, people lost their jobs. Uh, our students were struggling financially. Many of them lost their part time jobs. Uh, then we found out that there was a lack of uh, broadband coverage uh, all over the state of Texas. Uh, so it's been a real challenge. But having said that, uh, I think to me, one of the key um, things that we need to do and, and responsibilities that we have is to communicate to the students of the many opportunities that are available for them to get education, for them to get uh, training for a job, get a certificate. Uh, We have um, STC, South Texas Community College. Uh, We have uh, TSTC, uh, up in Arlington. We have uh, UTRJB. All these institutions provide the opportunity for for educating and provide training to our students across the Rio Grande Valley but we have to get the information out to them for them to know that these programs uh, and this training, uh, these education opportunities are available. Uh, For example, the JET program, uh, the JET program to develop career and technical education programs that we have all over the state. uh, It's a very, very, very effective program we have in the state of Texas. Uh, The other thing is that we do apprenticeships uh, in the Texas industry. Uh, We pay up to $10,000 per apprentice uh, that is working with a, with a company to learn the trade or, or um, learn the job. Uh, and for us, the real challenge has been uh, matching the skilled jobs that are needed with the training and educational programs and people who are looking for a professional or skilled job. In other words, trying to find the right fit uh, for a person who wants uh, to get educated, who wants to learn certain skills, identifying and focusing on, uh, to match What we're hearing from the business sector that tells us we need people who are trained uh, and skilled in this type of uh, uh, profession, this type of job that's available, but we can't get it. So for us, doing that through the private sector, through our educational institutions, uh, and through the workforce commission uh, is a way to be a lot more responsibilities and more uh, opportunities for our students.
3: Um, absolutely, Senator. I think you're you're right on. And you were talking about some of the challenges. And one of those challenges you mentioned was about broadband. And we have seen that highlighted more than ever now, uh, because so many students are having to learn online. Tell me, do you believe that this is an issue that will be addressed by the state? Because right now, we've got cities and counties and others that are trying to Provide more access with hotspots and technology, and but you know they're they're only they're limited, and it's kind of a patchwork because some places are doing it and some others are not. So, do you think this is going to be addressed at a statewide level, like perhaps statewide broadband, uh, or do you think it'll be left to local governments?
0: Are you asking me? This is what I think. Right now, our state does not have a statewide plan to deal with broadband, uh, and we will be changing that this coming session. Uh, It really needs to be a united uh, effort throughout the state. It cannot be done on a piecemeal basis uh, by our cities and counties uh, uh, and schools on their own. Uh, So we have to have a statewide plan to be able to access and provide broadband across the state. Uh, But let me make a point. Uh, Right now, you have the private companies like AEP, uh, you have AT&T, you have some of the rural electric companies. Uh, They're also cooperating in allowing some of the infrastructure uh, to be set up and be used to expand broadband. Uh, so the answer to your question, yes, uh, the state will be looking and setting up a statewide plan so we can help all the regions of the state uh, have access to
3: broadband. That that's great news, and in fact, you know, it it affects even more than just education. We've seen that um, we're seeing a lot more telemedicine being offered today, uh, and so we want to be able to expand access to care as well. So I think. And especially um, in the schools, we've, we've seen uh, psychological um, uh, care being provided to our students as well. And probably it's gonna be more important than ever after this pandemic, so or during the pandemic. So thank you for that. And I'm glad to hear that um, we're looking at it from a statewide perspective.
0: Well, and let me add that uh, that will allow us to be able to access federal funding uh, if we have a statewide plan.
3: Terrific, well, we always wanna be able to tap into additional funds if we can. Uh, I know Dr. Rodriguez, you agree with that. We always are looking for more funding. Uh, And let me ask you, since we've been talking about the digital divide, uh, could you tell us how how significant has it been, have you seen in the K through 12, and what do you believe are gonna be the short-term consequences of that and the long-term consequences?
4: Veronica, you know, I'm really happy to hear that from Senator Nehosa. You know, this is one of the areas that we have really, as a collective impact organization and working with school districts, institutions of higher ed, business, workforce, you know, we have really seen, especially in the rural areas and the hardest to serve communities, we have really seen the impact that what we were not prepared for has come to fruition. So, Definitely, we have worked with our grassroots organizations, and I know Senator nahosa mentioned that we shouldn't be working like piecemealing it, but for right now, due to the need that we have in the rural areas and, and the hardest to serve communities, we've been working with our grassroots organizations, such as Lupe, Arise, or Equal Voice Network, you know, to be able to provide resources. And through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, we have recently set out a request for proposal just for that, to offer computer equipment, Wi-Fi, whatever the families in those areas need to be able to have access. But here's the thing that we need to keep in mind, is that, you know, for as much work we're going to be doing with the digital divide and making sure that we have this uh, access to families and children, there is the question that comes up due to the unemployment rate and the impact you know, COVID and other uh, reasons has really faced our region is basic necessities. And when I talk about basic necessities, it's the fact, can our families pay the light? Can they pay their rent? Are they able to get food on the table? So we really have to also focus, I mean, it's great and dandy that we're gonna have, you know, all this high tech equipment, but if people can't pay the light, how are you gonna access this equipment? So I want also to make sure that we keep in mind that that's gonna be a huge uh, uh, challenge uh, moving forward.
3: Well, that, that's a really good point. I know we set up some food bank, we have our food bank at the university our food pantries and a lot of giveaways of food and, and especially healthy food. And there's never a shortage of people for that. So thank you, Dr. Rodriguez. I'm gonna follow up with you though on something you just said because schools have invested a lot of money in technology and hotspots and other things. And so this this pandemic at one point will end, we hope, sooner than later, um, so. <laughs> but um, it's not a switch that's gonna turn on and off. I mean, we've learned a lot from this transition to online learning. So how can online learning be blended in with our cl- in-class instruction uh, after the health pandemic is over so that the students are learning in a way that better prepares them for the, for the real world, for the workforce and for college?
4: Veronica, I can't wait for this pandemic to be over, but You know, if it's one thing that we've learned is that, you know, and just in in adjusting to this new learning environment, uh, remote learning has been something that, you know, the school districts have done a phenomenal job along with TA and uh, the tri-agency, including TWC. They've done a phenomenal job in providing resources for the community. But I can tell you this is that we will have that experience, we will be able to maybe move forward in some different innovative plan where we have a mix, we have a mix of remote learning, we have a mix of in-person, and it may be this new hybrid that we will be facing through education. And so, you know, from from challenges come opportunities as well. And, And well, our conversations have been With our school districts in our region and our institutions of higher education is that we will be in a better position, not only to extend learning opportunities across the region because of what we've been through with the pandemic, but we will be able to grow from it. And so we're very excited uh, to, to talk about those opportunities moving forward.
3: Well, I, I agree completely, and I think students, they're the ones that learn the fastest. They pick up on everything so quickly. They're learning on computers from a very early age. And I think it's its going to be harder to get the adults on to uh, to get used to the changes. But, uh, but I think the students will want to continue to use that technology in their learning because that's what they do every day, um, with or without school. They're doing it at home as well. And so, uh, Commissioner, that brings me to you. Um, I know that you have a lot of grants and you've been so good about advocating for the Rio Grande Valley um, on these grants. So as you review, as the workforce reviews grant applications going forward, can we expect that there may be a preference toward programs that implement the use of technology or learning via uh, technology rather than the traditional uh, grants and programs that have been submitted in the past?
2: You know, Veronica, I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that Pat Hobbs and Frank Almaraz represent our agency in South Texas. And back in 2017, we were already talking about how we could actually work with and at the time we were looking at working with industry. When industry may find it a challenge that if they're looking at going into a certain community, we still lack that broadband service. So we were already looking at that in 2017. And I will tell you that this pandemic has made it possible for us to be more creative. You know, the length of an application for a grant used to be so many days, maybe 45 days. We've shortened that up. It used to be five or six pages so that we could get every single detail that we needed. Now it's like a one or two page application because this money needs to be rolled out. We've been very creative in working with our county judges around the state where we could leverage what I like to use blended services because I think our legislators want that. I think taxpayers deserve that, that we could blend our services with local tax dollars and federal tax dollars. So we're able to be a little bit more creative. Uh, We're able to provide more services. Um, Just to give you one example, what we did when back in 2017, I understood the need for uh, broadband or internet connectivity. Think about it. I had adult learners that were actually going to a Starbucks or McDonald's or a Dairy Queen or something after hours so that these adult learners that were going to South Texas College or TSTC or some of the other schools were having to go and do their homework there. So we've had the digital divide for a long time. So we've been working at ways to try to implement uh, creative ways to facilitate that. One of them came from an idea there in FAR, where we were purchasing hotspots. Now our local boards have the ability, which they've never had before, where they can purchase hotspots, broadband service, and the infrastructure needed, a, a tablet or something like that. We've never done that. But if it hadn't been for this pandemic, we would have never thought about being creative, working with Weoa, how that works. Now, there are things that we can't do with our funding, so that's why we look at economic development partners to help us. For example, we can purchase the broadband, maybe we can purchase the, um, the equipment, but we can't, uh, we can't give them the classroom space. And that's where a local EDC or, or a local business can help us out. So I will tell you that the pandemic has uh, made us think outside the box but I see the way we educate people in the future is going to be different. I see we're going to have more remote learning. I can tell you right now, Rodney referenced the tri-agency report that we were tasked by the governor to put together, you know, in there, we reference broadband. We just submitted this week. We are going to submit this week, the uh, 60 by 30 tri-agency two plus zero or, and that is an update to what we did in 2016. And in there, it charges TWC at looking at ways to provide broadband service to rural Texas.
3: Well, that's that's great to hear. I think the more partners we have in this endeavor, the, the better we're gonna do as a region and as a state. And Senator Hinojosa, let me ask you this, sir, because we know that some schools are already going back to school. I mean, the kids are going back into uh, face-to-face instruction, uh, in-class instruction. Others are ha- continuing to do it online. Um, And there's been waivers that have been asked for by the um, K through 12 from TEA. Um, And we've also seen a surge again. So let me ask you, do you think that the legislature is going to give TEA flexibility to issue these waivers going forward uh, until there's a vaccine that's widely available? Or is this something that's going to fall within the purview of the governor's office?
0: Quite frankly, I think uh, TEA will provide... um... Uh, waivers on a case-by-case basis. Uh, we are in uncertain times. We really don't know uh, how the pandemic will be a couple of months from now. So we have to provide flexibility to be able to respond to uh, different regions of the state that may uh, may be experiencing a higher scourge than other regions. So the answer to your question is yes. I anticipate uh, that uh, TA will have the discretion to be able to provide uh, waivers on a case by case basis, and also depending on what's going on locally uh, with the health uh, uh, officials.
3: Well, and I know that something else that's probably on the minds of many of the educators here is that um, we know the budget is going to be very strained this, this coming session, uh, and you, you spoke about that earlier, and last session, uh, the legislature was very generous with, with public schools and the billions of dollars that were appropriated. Can we expect that that same level of funding will happen in this coming session for the K through 12?
0: Uh, last session, uh, we increased funding for public education by $11.5 billion. Uh, and we really, we really reformed the way we fund public education by focusing on the needs of the students and not uh, on the wealth of the school district. Uh, we increased allotments by $1,000 per student. Uh, and that's a big change, a huge change education was and is a priority. I think this coming session, uh, from the conversations with the leadership and other members, uh, we will we will make education a priority and, and continue funding our education at the same level we did last session. Keep in mind that when we left last session, we had a $3 billion deficit, a uh, seriously surplus. Uh, now, because of the pandemic, uh, the crush uh, the, the, uh, of, uh, of uh, oil and gas prices is crashing to the uh, basement. Uh, we now have a deficit of uh, $4.6 billion, but we also have $8.6 billion in the Rainbow Fund. So we said within the $5 billion uh, deficit range. Uh, we'll be able to manage that next session. Uh, and again, uh, committing to, uh, high, uh, to public education that we. <clears throat> intend to keep the same level of funding next session.
3: Well, that's good to hear. And, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say also make sure that you for fund the formulas for higher ed because uh, we're all continuing to grow and make sure that our students not only get through that high school, but then go on uh, and get a higher education. So thank you, sir, for, for that. And we know that you're out there fighting for us and we, we appreciate all the work that you do day in and day out. Uh, Dr. Rodriguez, I'm going to turn to you for a moment because you mentioned earlier the pipeline programs or you mentioned that we have to be able to have that bridge for students so that they have opportunities early on brought to them, right? I know at UTRGV, for instance, we have, uh, we have several pipeline programs. We have the early college high schools. Uh, we have uh, Vaqueros MD uh, program. So it's an early admission program for South Texas high school students. And we have, of course, uh, JAMP and others that help students when they get into college to go into medical school and other careers. So, how important do you think these pipeline programs are, gonna, are, are to creating these career pathways? And what are schools doing, I guess, you know, to partner with universities, community colleges, and others to make sure that um, they're getting those programs in place?
4: Veronica, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge uh, Commissioner Alvarez. Uh, for being the champion when it comes to transitioning and, and offering pipeline programs from secondary to post secondary. You know, uh, and I just need to mention this uh, Commissioner Alvarez, uh, through my tenure in workforce, has been an amazing support uh, along the Texas Mexico border. We have uh, worked together in different initiatives. And Commissioner, I want to thank you for your support when it comes to workforce in our region. But with that said, you know, very important. I mean, this is is where the rubber meets the road because uh, when we afford opportunities, not only academic opportunities, and I know all our scholars cringe when I say this, but, uh, you know, we're also talking about community colleges. We're talking about industry-recognized certifications. We're talking about level one, level two certificates. These are all opportunities that, like Commissioner Alvarez mentioned, uh, they, TWC has funded liaisons to work with counselors. And, and here in the Rio Grande Valley, that's what we do with Frank Almaraz, with the Workforce for the Lower Rio Grande we have these partners that go into the schools, they talk to the counselors, they talk to the students, they uh, encourage uh, career exploration opportunities. And this is how we get students uh, excited, we get students starting to think about their careers, and then it works simultaneously with how they're gonna go through their educational path. And I'll give you one, one prime example. So colleges are able to have students come in, and if they don't go through an associate program or certificate program, they can go through an industry recognized certification program. And then when they do that, these become stackable credentials that go into pursuing their education. So it's not to say that their their educational journey stops when they get a a certification, it's the beginning. They're going to move on to different elements in, in their journey to acquire a certificate or degree. And so it is vital to make sure that we continue these opportunities, making sure that we engage just like we have our teachers come in for summer internships where we talk about careers, we talk about uh, industry, and then they in turn go back to the schools and incorporate it in their curriculums to be able to teach the children about these opportunities once they graduate. So yes, it is vital, it is important, and I encourage it to continue there. Well, thank
3: thank you, Dr. Rodriguez. And you mentioned, uh, kudos to uh, Commissioner Alvarez for for doing this work and Commissioner. So um, let me ask you, how can K-12, community colleges, technical schools, and higher ed continue working together to expand those opportunities for our students and and to also assure that we're meeting the needs of the workforce? Because we will hear sometimes that there's a disconnect between the workforce and education. And I think it's just a matter of really talking to each other, making sure you align your curriculum and so forth. But we hear people say, oh, we don't have an educated workforce. And then we hear the schools say we have the educated workforce. We just don't have the jobs for them when they get out. So how can we continue to align those two?
2: Well, you know, I mentioned earlier um, the creation of the tri-agency group. Uh, tasking TEA, higher ed, and Texas workforce to work together. And I also referenced the manual that I had. Let me tell you, um, we were very fortunate that in 2016, we visited with different parts of uh, of the state, listening to stakeholders about the value of education and making school more affordable. Look, Veronica, at the, at the onset of this meeting, you said that, you know, your Valley owns Julian Alvarez. I understand the challenges that we have in not only rural Texas, but along the border. And so my goal from day one has always been, how do you make school more affordable? And how do you put programs in place so that they're stackable? So when I talk about options, who, by the way, Senate Bill 154 was introduced by Senator Hinojosa, which I failed to say. So that is that having that individual, that, that specialist in the school talking to these young adults. Look, what's happening in the Valley? I'm talking to your office right now about an apprenticeship in IT. You guys are looking at doing a uh, cybersecurity apprenticeship program. We would have not had these discussions two or three years ago. We're having them now with you because there's a demand for it in the Valley with Lone Star Bank or some of the other institutions, municipalities, counties are looking for people that do uh, uh, that look for fraud. And then, of course, we're having discussions with manufacturers, You know, people that are telling us what the demand is. So what I wanted to just kind of reiterate is that industry's driving on how we're training people in the valley. You guys are listening to them, the community colleges are listening to, heck, the high schools. You know, the, the senator referenced earlier about the JET program. I mean, that was at the state comptroller's office. That was money that's actually allocated to South Texas in the high schools and community colleges for equipment. PSJA, La Jolla, Port Isabel, Rio Grande City, Weslaco. all of these schools in the past had never nor receive jet funding for equipment. What industry is looking at? Look, you got Mario in Brownsville that's got a heavy interest in what's happening at the at the at the port of Brownsville, and you got all these LNGs. Are we prepared for these LNGs? Are we telling young individuals early on that these are occupations that are in high demand in South Texas? I know Pat Hobbs and everybody else is. I mean, we're telling everybody, but are we are we resignating? Is that message being resignated to our students early on? that these are good-paying careers. And one of the things that you keep referencing that I like, Veronica, is you're telling people that we're preparing individuals for careers and not jobs. And I appreciate that because every there are going to be good-paying careers out there, and there is no brain drain. My God, some of the smartest kids, just by the... I've looked at your first robotics that you have in South Texas. You have some of the brightest kids in the state in South Texas, and I've seen them I've seen them compete in Houston at the world, you know, competing against other states and they've done well. Our so, kids can compete with any any kids. In that's America. right, that's Veronica. Great. And for anyone to say that you can't, let me tell you, I'm very fortunate that I'm sitting here as a commissioner and I'm able to compare what the Valley has to other parts of the state. We are way ahead of the game. Who wouldn't want to have LNG, the LNGs in their backyard, SpaceX, expansion of highways, the, the educational schools that you have, UTRGV is a first class institution.
3: The medical school, yeah. The know, medical
2: school. How so many God.
3: opportunities for kids today.
2: And it wasn't by accident. The Valley has been proactive. People like at the Real Grandy Valley Partnership prior to me with the leadership of Setio. Man, I mean, you guys, you, you don't know, the discussions that we have, they always reference, wow, I wish we did that, or I wish we had that. So congratulations to you all for being so proactive. I I don't know how to say that there's any issues because the issues that are coming across have been uh, addressed. And so we appreciate that. And, you know, even though we're experiencing a pandemic and the and the the senator knows this, I would be I, I would, you know, I would I would be remiss if I didn't say that we're experiencing issues with unemployment insurance benefits. But we're doing a lot of great things in training people that have been dislocated, furloughed or out of jobs or even looking at a new skill to, thanks to higher institutions and the business community.
3: Well, that's so true. I mean, I think it's it's been so unfortunate this pandemic hit when it did because we were on a trajectory, um, you know, and uh, on a very good trajectory because of all the opportunities that are here now in the Rio Grande Valley, and we can't allow this to slow us down. We have got to continue on that same path and partner uh, and talk to each other, and I think that's one of the good things about the valley. Everybody knows everybody, and everybody, you know, uh, gets together and, and wants to talk, so we are we found a new way to do it now by Zoom and, and other uh, platforms, but... We're gonna to continue to work together. And so that brings me to the, the last question that I have is another general question for all three of you. And I'm gonna start with you, Senator. Um, what is your recommendation or your request or hope for how education and workforce development is gonna to continue to lead to a strong Rio Grande Valley post COVID?
0: Well, let me, let me uh, just, uh, uh, I agree with everything Commissioner Hurley. I'm, I would have said, uh, that anybody that graduate from a high school here in the valley or UTLGB or SCC, uh, even our medical school can compete against anybody in this nation, anybody in the world. Uh, you have students who will graduate from high school here and end up in Harvard, Yale, uh, Georgetown, uh, uh, in, in California. So, you know, it, it's, it's uh, this is what the action. Is. Uh, and for us, we are switching over from an agricultural-based economy to one of healthcare uh, professions, education, uh, advanced manufacturing. Uh, so we are doing our work uh, as a community and uh, in our institutions working with the state and our private uh, sector partners to identify, provide the transition, the opportunities to get jobs, to, to make a career, uh, uh, to provide the that, that resources that we need to, to be successful. Uh, I, I talk to other people from other parts of the state and they, they always talk about the Rikoni Valley. Man, the Valley is really growing. That's where the action is. You are doing a great job. But it takes a lot of work. Uh, and, and for us, uh, our population is very young compared to other regions. But that's a big, big plus. It's a human resource that we have for our young people who want to continue to learn and educate themselves. Uh, UTRGB now is over 30,000, I think thirty-two thousand students. 30,
3: 32,000?
0: Yes, sir. When I attended uh, Pan-American then, the old days, you know, just 5,000, 6,000, maybe 4,000 people, students. So you can tell the growth is here, the action is here, the leadership is here, and we have the material, we have the students that that want to learn and get educated. So we got to put all that together, and we're doing that uh, to the point that we are one of the leading areas uh, that provides not only brain power, uh, but resources and funding uh, our our first share of taxes to the state and the federal government.
3: Thank you, thank you, Senator. And also, I just want to thank you because we were going to have uh, Representative Longoria here today and he had a budget hearing. And I know you've been in budget hearings every day as well. And you were able to to join us during this time slot. And so we're very grateful for that and very grateful for the fact that you work day in and day out to make sure the Valley is known to other uh, lawmakers across the state. So thank you for, for your work today and for your hopes uh, for the future. Dr. Rodriguez, what, what are your hopes for the future?
4: You know, Veronica, I think that, you know, we've done such an incredibly great job in education. And, and when I say that, I mean, like from pre-K to 12, I mean, our p I mean, our early colleges, our dual credit programs, I mean, all of these innovative, uh, you know, just initiatives have really prepared our students across the spectrum. I mean, and when we work with our collective impact uh, leadership team, we're talking about cradle to career. And what my hope is, is that we continue being aggressive in making sure that our students are prepared. And when I say, when they, when be prepared, like from secondary to post secondary, and saying that we offer Uh, that curriculum of like the algebra two before they graduate, the English two, so that way once they transition, if they're going into an academic degree, they're prepared for TSI and making sure to go in and and start their education. But for whatever reason, if they are not going through an academic degree, we will be able to provide other alternative educational um, uh, trajectories for them in industry recognized certifications, level one, level two certificates. We need to open up all the faucets of opportunity of education for our kids. And I think that that's something we're doing well, that's something we'll continue doing and that's my hope for the future.
3: And uh, Commissioner Alvarez, let me end with you. So what are your recommendations for how we're gonna be stronger post COVID?
2: I say we continue listening to industry. Uh, a perfect example of that is one of the things that we're working with you, Veronica in your school And that is, and we've had this discussion with Senator Hinojosa, is creating a micro-credential, a micro-credential and a four-year degree where, you know, you don't really need to be a software developer engineer with Amazon, but if you take those cybersecurity courses that you're going to be offering there or what they offer at some of the other institutions, you have that certification, as Rodney has referenced, that industry-recognized credential until you get that software engineer degree or or job at uh, at, um, Indeed or at uh, IBM or whatever. So we've talked to the Senator about maybe implementing a micro-credential. That's outside the box thinking. And that's gonna be something that we're gonna be doing for a long time. Or you know, how about training these high school kids that we're gonna be doing at DHR, where we're gonna be busing high school kids to learn how to repair and maintain equipment at the hospital with COVID um, relief funding that we received from the federal government. And the only condition is, is after they go through the training that DHR hire them. I mean, that's a, that's a win-win. And so those discussions we had probably prior to COVID when we met with uh, the Senator and the leadership at DHR and UTRGB. So we've been having a lot of discussions. I guess the last thing I would like to leave with is platforms like what uh, uh, John and uh, Ms. Gonzalez have put forth and with you, Veronica, always being a champion for South Texas as well. Um, You know, platforms like this gets the message out. And it's important for us to continue doing that. And we need to take advantage of the accolades that we continue to receive because the Valley's done some really good things. And I think the the platform that you guys have put forth today allows us to acknowledge that. Um, But but, um, we only play a small role and we still have a lot of work to do. But I think outside the box thinking, listening to educators, listening to the business community is going to make us, it's going to put us one up. So I know these are probably closing remarks, but I just wanted to thank you for, for everything that UTRGV does and how they've always been able to support our interests and the needs of, of school stu- of students.
3: Thank, thank you, Commissioner, and we appreciate that. It is a joint effort among um, the K-12 and post-K-12, um, through the K-16, really, a community um i thank you for answering those questions and we've had a lot of questions coming in through the chat so we're going to try to address some of the more popular ones um this is one that i think y'all can all look at from a different perspective but the question related to mental health and the stresses that we're all seeing right now and we we are all feeling it um so what what efforts are taking place in your respective areas to address the mental emotional and financial stressors that families are grappling uh, with because of COVID. Senator, um, what are some of the things that are taking place to address the stress? You're on mute, sir.
0: Uh, Quite frankly, uh, uh, mental health is a very important and and an issue and a priority for us as a state. I think last session we uh, appropriated approximately $7.2 billion uh, across mental health uh, agencies and programs. Uh, we uh, set aside 100 million dollars for mental health consortium for our, our public schools uh, throughout our state. Uh, so uh, we also uh, have additional funding under COVID, uh, under the CARES Act that we been providing to help people cope uh, with mental health issues. Uh, so we are focusing uh, on mental health issues uh, pro- because of all the stress that's being created, if you will, uh, by the pandemic. Uh, so that's that's a that's a priority for us.
3: Great, thank you. I know that. Um, thank you for that money for the mental health coalition. We're a member of it, and we've actually set up some telemedicine in some of the public schools to help students that are um, even before COVID that were dealing with a lot of the stressors. Dr. Rodriguez, what uh, what do you see going on in the in the public schools uh, to address the mental health?
4: Yeah, great question. You know, stressors. Um, are very evident. I mean, this is not only facing uh, the families, but it's facing our educators, our our students that are, you know, facing these uncertain times and and this uh, pandemic that people are scared of, you know, and, and rightfully so. We should all be vigilant. We should all be Uh, Making sure that we access those resources like Senator Nohosa has just described that we're able to utilize all those resources available in our community to be able to provide for our, our school system. But what we're seeing is that, you know, through our collective impact approach with working with our school districts is that Everyone is really focused and making sure there's a good balance and, and offering these uh, services uh, to the educators and students.
3: Thank you. And, and I guess, uh, Commissioner, you've probably seen it more than anywhere is people lose their jobs or are laid off. Um, there's been so much stress and not only for um, the person that lost the job, but for the entire family. So what is the workforce doing to address some of
2: those issues? Well, you know, we have, um, as you know, we have 1,600 individuals that man our call center seven days a week um, and 24 hours a day. And the only day that they're going to get off in the next upcoming weeks is Thanksgiving. So they've been working every day. And we've trained those individuals to identify some of these individuals that call in the claimants and sound like they have an issue. You know, Veronica, I will tell you that two of the things that I know that we're doing uh, to address this issue, because, again, those services usually go into another agency. But I will tell you that what we're doing is we're working with your school. And uh, as I referenced earlier, DHR, to identify that those PAs, physician assistants that they hire are gonna be trained in mental health. So we're gonna be paying for that through a skills development grant. So they're gonna have a a PA degree and they're gonna have a stackable credential specifically to identify mental health or wound care or ortho or gynecology. So DHR is taking that step to assist uh, that psychiatric uh, department. The other thing we're doing is, and again, uh, we understand that we have a lot of kids um, that have parents that have been uh, incarcerated. So something again, thinking outside the box, we reached out to Wyndham School and TDCJ, worked with them uh, and allowed prisoners, uh, those that are currently incarcerated to talk to their students, teachers. And find out how their how their kids you know are doing in school, and this is a big relief for young adults because their parents are still in communication with uh, their teachers. Where you know usually when someone's incarcerated, there's they have no communication with anyone outside the prisons. But we're trying to make it so that these parents will have access to the parent I mean, the teachers of their students of their kids, I should say, uh, just to kind of not create so much stress at home. I mean they're already building they're already. They already have challenges, and to build to put something else on that um, would be um, would be hor- horrific. So I can just tell you about what what my office is doing to address mental health. But again, we do know that we do have individuals that call in with unemployment insurance cases, and some of them are very severe. And we um, we refer them to the appropriate folks.
3: Um, and I think we we've got just a couple minutes. There was a question for you, uh, Commissioner, relating to insurance apprenticeships. And who can um, someone speak to about adding uh, insurance apprenticeships to the program that you have in place for for apprenticeships?
2: An insurance company?
3: Um, It was insurance. Who can I speak to? I think it was, yes, someone in insurance.
2: Yeah, I mean, they can always reach out to me. I mean, Veronica, you can give them my email address at julian.alvarez at twc.state.tx.us. They're certainly welcome to email me. Uh, I will tell you I'm going to I'm going to surprise Senator Hinojosa with this but do you know that we have an apprenticeship program with South Texas College Carlos Margo, and that group we have an an apprenticeship program where I'll be attending their uh, their site next week where they're training individuals on how to make beer at 5 by 5 and I'm going to present them with the governor's proclamation because I am so impressed with what they're doing they're the only ones in the country that provide an apprenticeship program to how to make beer. So kudos to South Texas College. And then we have programs for cybersecurity and Power Out of Dallas does it for people that are veterans. Uh, Last week I was in Houston meeting with uh, Ben Carson who provided a facility. We provided the equipment and the training and the city of um, uh, Sylvester Turner provided the, the property. And now we have a training facility for individuals in welding or in the construction field for individuals that are transitioning out of military service, homeless men, homeless people. So tell that gentleman that he can email me, and I'd be more than happy to set him up with uh, the, the the folks that can actually put together an apprenticeship program. As long as DOL recognizes it, and we do, he's got a program. He doesn't have to have fifty people; he can have five people.
3: You know, yeah, Veronica. Yeah.
4: Or, Sorry, Dr. If, if I, yeah, if I just may, and, and just going to what Commissioner Alavid has just mentioned, one example of our partnership also at South Texas College with the apprenticeship program is that uh, there was a transportation uh, challenge mm-hmm. with that apprenticeship program. And we're happy to say we partnered with some of our philanthropy partners and we'll be making an announcement for some gap funding that we will be providing for transportation to get the students to and from employers. So that should be coming soon.
3: Well, and I'm, I'm going to have to sign off here on, on this part of the, the program, but I do want to bring up something Dr. Rodriguez that, and to all of you really that was brought up in the chat. And, you know, we focus a lot on um, cybersecurity, the STEM fields, right? The science, the technology. But there's also mentioned that let's not forget about addressing the soft skills. Um,
1: right.
3: that, and, and I know we got, we got away from it somewhat because we're all now doing it via Zoom. Uh, But we really need to make sure that our students from the early years are prepared with the soft skills to get into the workforce. That's something that uh, no pandemic or any other crisis is going to uh, do away with uh, the need for that. So I want to thank you all again. Thank you so much. And and that's the time we have. One thing is clear uh, that the pandemic has changed the way that we learn and the way that we work. And while some things may return to how they were being done prior to the pandemic, some of these changes are gonna become a way of life for us. And they're gonna be integrated into the way we were used to doing things. So flexibility, adaptability and resiliency are gonna be key in moving forward. Thank you once again to Senator Hinojosa, Commissioner Alvarez and Dr. Rodriguez for sharing your thoughts with us today. And thank you to Teach for America for inviting me to moderate this discussion. I hope that you will all stay safe and I will now turn it over to uh, Teach for America's director, uh, the beloved Ana Gonzalez, to briefly close us out today. Ana?
5: Thank you so much, Veronica, for always facilitating such critical and essential conversations. We're very grateful for you. And I want to extend a very warm thank you to our panelists today, Dr. Rodriguez, Julian Alvarez and Senator Hinojosa, thank you so much for your insight, your wisdom, and always for being champions for students and families in the Rio Grande Valley. Um, We have some incredible sponsors too that we'd like to thank, and that's VTX1, UTRGV, and the Mission EDC our rising sponsors and all of our future ready sponsors for supporting today's event and Teach for America. We want to thank our incredible regional advisory board, our chairperson uh, Gina Garcia, and thank you to our MC Deborah Cordova. To all of you, we want to say muchas gracias for making the time to attend today. And um, I hope that you're encouraged and inspired as am I to really visualize what is possible for the future of our young people and that you're ready to make and take a part in making that a reality for our kids in the RGV. You know, Teach for America stands powerfully behind our students uh, and for the future that we know that we want to co-create with all of them and they want us to co-create with them. There, uh, something you mentioned, Veronica, there's actually really no going back anymore. We must only go forward. And it's only through collective visioning of a different future that we're gonna be able to open up those um, access and credentials and degrees necessary to have a life of economic mobility and a future filled with possibility. That for me means that we have an RGB which works for the most vulnerable students. An RGB that works for students means that we are a vibrant, thriving community that's rooted in our history and is always looking forward to the future. Thank you to all of you for joining us today and for your continued commitment to all the students and the future of young adults in the Valley. Now more than ever, we know that our students need all of you. They need all of us to play a role in building a more resilient RGV.
0: Nos vemos pronto. I'm Mario Munoz reporting for the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service.